for the Stock Car Racing Time Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Today, you're listening to episode 39, the 1997 running of the Door Loop 500 presented by Kmart from the Phoenix International Raceway. This was the 10th NASCAR Winston Cup race to be held at the track. It's interesting that they presented this race as a 500, as it was a 500-kilometer, 312-mile lap race, as the track is a one-mile racetrack. Interestingly enough, some track owners felt like it sounded better to say 500 in the event because we had a lot of 500-mile or 500-lap races at short tracks. So they described it as a kilometer race rather than calling it a 300-mile race or 312-mile race. At this time, the Phoenix International Raceway was a relatively flat track with 11 degrees of banking in turns one and two. There was a dog leg down the back stretch, and then you had a relatively flat turns three and four that were at about nine degrees. The biggest story coming into the race, of course, was the chase for the points championship, as this was the 31st of 32 NASCAR Winston Cup races. Jeff Gordon had a 125-point lead over runner-up Mark Martin in the penultimate race, and Dale Jarrett was trailing by 145 points. So it appeared to be a comfortable margin for Jeff Gordon, but he'd been there before in 1996 with just four races to go, having a comfortable margin, and then having it almost all wiped out when he had mechanical problems at Charlotte. The other big story was NASCAR Winston Cup drivers who had won races in 1996 but had failed to get to victory lane in 1997. In the last two races, two drivers who fit that category picked up a win as Terry Labonte, the defending 1996 NASCAR Winston Cup champion, won the 1997 Die Hard 500 from Talladega in October. And then... Just last week, Bobby Hamilton was able to pick up his second career NASCAR Winston Cup victory, winning for Richard Petty's team, even though he would be leaving the team at the end of the season. Four drivers who had won in the 1996 season had still failed to go to victory lane in 1997. These included Dale Earnhardt. His last victory was in March of 1996 at the Atlanta Motor Speedway, and he was in the midst of one of his longest losing streaks in his NASCAR Winston Cup career, other than at the start of his career. In addition, you had Sterling Marlin. He had won twice for the number four team in 1996, both at restrictor play tracks, and he would be leaving the four team at the end of the 1997 season, but it had been an extremely difficult season for Sterling Marlin, and he had really struggled in the second half of the season too as well. Jeff Bodine had been victorious at the butt at the Glen in 1996, and his best finish of 1997 was second place runs early in the season in Richmond and a second place finish at the butt at the Glen as well. Bobby Labonte had waited to the last race of the season to go to victory lane in 1996, winning the season finale at Atlanta while his brother clinched the championship. And they made that famous joint championship and and race win victory lap together. And Labonte had been close. He had had a really strong car at Charlotte, looked like he had a chance at the victory and came up just short. And we had talked about Dale Earnhardt earlier. He had been extremely close in the second half of the season too as well. He had had a streak of some really good runs, including back-to-back second-place runs at Dover and Martinsville and a strong third-place run at Charlotte. So Earnhardt and McReynolds seemed to be getting their chemistry working together and running a lot better in the second half of the season. And just maybe they would find a way to win one of the last two races of the season. Qualifying for the Phoenix race took place on Friday afternoon, and it was last week's winner, Bobby Hamilton, continuing the momentum and capturing a second pole of the 1997 season. He had also won the pole for the June Pocono race, 
but unfortunately had misfortune in that race. He crashed and was credited with a 39th place finish. It was Hamilton's fourth career pole, and he had now won two poles in 1997 and two poles in the 1996 season. Jimmy Spencer captured the second fastest lap, and he would have the be- his best start in the 1997 season. Rusty Wallace was third fastest. Bobby Labonte was fourth fastest. Great qualifying effort for Rick Bass, who had the fifth fastest lap. Ken Trader was sixth quick. Good qualifying effort for Dale Arnold in seventh, as he had struggled a bunch in qualifying in 1997. Johnny Benson was eighth quickest. Third in points, Dale Jarrett qualified ninth. Great qualifying effort for Lake Speed in tenth. Kenny Irwin Jr. qualified 11th. Points leader Jeff Gordon qualified 12th. Dick Trickle had the 13th fastest lap. Second in points, Mark Martin qualified 14th. And Brett Bodine qualified 15th after missing his first race of the season the previous week at Rockingham. Other notable qualifiers included Darrell Waltrip at 19th, Jeremy Mayfield battling for a top 10 position NASCAR wins the cup points came up 22nd, Tad Musgrave trying to hold on to a top 10 position in NASCAR wins the cup points qualified 23rd, Terry Labonte was the 29th fastest qualifier, Bill Elliott was 36th fastest, Ricky Rudd was forced to take a provisional in 39th, and Ricky Craven got the 43rd qualifying position. They did not qualify to include Wally Dollenbach Jr. This was his third missed race of the season. He had missed Atlanta and Texas earlier in the season. Jack Sprague was trying to put a number 52 car in the field for Rick Hendrick as he was there for a NASCAR, wins, a NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series race. Morgan Shepard missed the race in number one car, and Gary Badbury failed to qualify in number 78. Now, I don't want to talk about this too much, but there was significant controversy about Ricky Craven being given the 43rd starting position. Remember, NASCAR's position in the 1997 NASCAR Wins the Cup season was they would only have 42 starters unless they needed to have a past champions take a provisional. In some cases, past champions would take a provisional to allow another starter. We saw drivers like Terry Labonte, Dale Earnhardt, and Rusty Wallace do this, where they decided to take a past champions provisional and start 43rd, and also they weren't charged a traditional provisional. So there was a lot of controversy that Ricky Craven was given the 43rd starting position because he was clearly not a past NASCAR Winston Cup champion. Many of the other teams protested because Craven was out of provisionals. And at this time in NASCAR Winston Cup racing, there was no top 35 rule that guaranteed you a starting position in the field if you were in the top 35 and owner points. You had to qualify for the race. And if you were out of provisionals, regardless of your points position, you were not allowed to race. Many argued that NASCAR allowed Craven in the field because Budweiser was a popular sponsor and NASCAR didn't want to see them miss a race. A lot of drivers who had struggled in qualifying this season complained about this decision. One specific driver was Dave Marcus, who said that earlier in the season, he was out of provisionals. And when he failed to qualify, even though NASCAR could have allowed a 43rd race starter, they did not. And this was one of those situations where many argued that sometimes NASCAR kind of made up the rules as they went along. NASCAR had argued that this previously had been a joint Winston West race. And in these joint Winston West races, NASCAR would keep a couple open positions for Winston West drivers. We saw this at Sonoma where they actually started a couple extra starters in the race. 
But this year, this was not a joint Winston Rest race. But NASCAR said that for some reason, Ricky Craven was eligible for a Winston West provisional. The Door Loop 500 presented by Kmart was run on November 2nd, 1997, under very sunny and warm temperatures in the mid-80s in the Valley of the Sun. Bobby Hamilton and Jimmy Spencer were on the front row, and they led the field to the green flag. Bobby Hamilton, of course, was last week's winner at Rockingham, and he was trying to carry that momentum into the Phoenix race, and many were considering Hamilton, based upon how he practiced, to be one of the favorites to go to victory lane. It was Jimmy Spencer, though, who got a great jump getting into turn one, and he was actually able to get the outside of Bobby Hamilton off of turn one. Spencer had enough momentum to get the lead and close the door shut on Hamilton in turns three and four. After Spencer led the first lap, he drove very hard into turn one, and his car pushed up the racetrack. This allowed Bobby Hamilton to get to the inside of Spencer. It had been the eighth race that Jimmy Spencer had led this season. Bobby Hamilton was able to grab the league in the dog leg and down the backstretch, and he led the second lap of the race. Rusty Wallace was able to get around Jimmy Spencer in turn one and pick up the second position on lap three. Several laps into the race, and the TNN crew was reporting that Mark Martin was fading. He had started 14th and dropped back to the 21st position. Darren was in the move early in the race. He'd gone around Bobby Labonte for fifth with a pass on the outside of turn four. When TNN came back from their first commercial break, they reported that Jimmy Spencer had got around Rusty Wallace and moved in the second position. Bobby Hamilton was checking out away from everybody. He had a nearly three and a half second lead. 20 laps into the race and the top three in points were as follows. Dale Jarrett was running eighth, Jeff Gordon was in 10th, and Mark Martin was struggling back in the 24th position. The first caution of the race came out on lap 25 when the number 77 car spun in turn four. He did not suffer any significant damage. Mark Martin was struggling with the handling of his race car, and he decided to pit under this caution flag. The top five when the race would restart on lap 29 were Bobby Hamilton, Jimmy Spencer, Rusty Wallace, Ken Trader, and Dale Earnhardt. When TNN came back from commercial after they'd missed the restart, they reported that Jimmy Spencer had led two laps. But Hamilton was able to get to the inside of Spencer in the dogleg and grab the lead at the completion of lap 31. On the next lap, Dale Earnhardt was able to get to the inside of Jimmy Spencer off of turn four and complete the pass, and Dale was now running in the second position. Mark Martin wasn't really moving up very much after pitting under the yellow flag. He was back in 27th position. On the 37th lap of the race, Rusty Wallace was able to grab the fourth position from Ken Trader. The second caution of the race came out on lap 42 due to an accident involving Ricky Craven in turn three. When the TV cameras panned his car, you could see there was significant damage to the front of the car as well as the right front wheel. He had had contact with Ward Burton on the backstretch and had slammed the outside wall in turn three. Craven started 43rd and would be credited with a 43rd place finish. It had been a very poor weekend for Ricky Craven. He'd struggled in qualifying, needed a technicality for NASCAR to let him in the race, and now he was crashed out of the race with not even 50 laps completed. Yellow flag pit stops took place, and Jeff Gordon and Mark Martin decided to take two tires. Jeff Burton decided to stay out. He had pitted under the first caution. 
Darren Earnhardt reported that he had hit a tire on pit road and was concerned about the tow end of his race car. So when the race would restart on lap 48, Jeff Burton, who hadn't pitted, was the leader. Sterling Marlin was in second. Ricky Rudd was third. Chad Little was fourth. Steve Park was fifth. Jeff Green was sixth. Jeff Gordon was seventh. Johnny Benson was eighth. Bobby Hamilton was ninth. And Rusty Wallace rounded out the top ten. Two laps after the restart, Sterling Marlin was able to get to the inside of Jeff Burton in the dogleg, and he grabbed the lead on lap 50. It was only the seventh race that the Morgan McClure driver had led this season. Ricky Rudd moved his way into the second position. Jeff Gordon was able to get around Steve Park and Ricky Rudd on the outside and crack the top five. The third caution of the race came out on lap 57 due to Jimmy Spencer spinning in turn four. So far in the race, the longest green flag run was at the start of the race when we got 24 laps uninterrupted by the caution flag. After Spencer's spin, yellow flag pit stops took place, and Hernart was reporting concern about the tow end of the race car. Spencer pitted as well, and both drivers got four tires. Dale Earnhardt came back in the pits, and the crew was trying to adjust the tow or check the tow with the strings. This put Earnhardt all the way back in the 39th position when the race restarted on lap 62. Sterling Marlin was actually able to lead 15 consecutive laps, but Bobby Hamilton grabbed the lead of the race on lap 65. Bobby Labonte was forced to pit under green due to a cut right rear tire and was put a lap down. Rusty Wallace was able to grab the fifth position from Jeff Gordon on lap 67. Let's take a look at where the points leaders were running after 70 laps were complete. Points leader Jeff Gordon was running in 6th position. Dale Jarrett, who was 3rd in points, was running 7th. And Mark Martin, who was 2nd in points, was struggling back in 24th position. On the next lap, Dale Jarrett was able to get around Jeff Gordon and move into the 6th position. Kenny Wallace hit the wall off of turn 4 and was running very slow on the racetrack, but there was no caution. He was currently in the 37th position, and it looked like he had contact for Brett Bodine. When the race came back from commercial, it was reported that John Andretti was very slow on the racetrack as well. Meanwhile, Rusty Wallace was continuing to move up through the field, and he grabbed the second position from Sterling Marlin. Dale Jarrett continued his charge up through the field. He was able to get in the fourth position, and Jeff Gordon was able to move up the fifth as they both passed Jeff Burden on the 82nd lap. Dale Jarrett then grabbed the third position from Sterling Marlin. Runner-up in points, Mark Martin continued to struggle. He was in the 21st position after 85 laps were completed. It was reported from the pits that John Andretti had had an alternator problem and was now running six laps down. Bobby Hamilton was continuing to main a big, maintain a big lead on Rusty Wallace. He was three seconds in front. Jeff Burton was able to get his way back into the top five when he passed Sterling Marlin. It was reported that Jeff Burton was using the same race car that he had won the fall Martinsville race with. This was not surprising as Phoenix was a flat track with 11 degrees of banking in turn ones and a very flat turn three and four of just nine degrees. So the TNN broadcast reported that many drivers were utilizing cars that they had run well with at either Martinsville or Loudoun. With 100 laps completed in the race, Bobby Hamilton was the leader, Rusty Wallace was running second, Dale Jarrett was third, Jeff Gordon was fourth, Jeff Burton was fifth, Ken Schrader was in the sixth position, Jeremy Mayfield was seventh, Sterling Marlin was eighth, Ernie Irvin was ninth, and Steve Park was running in the tenth position. 
Dale Earnhardt had worked his way up to the 18th position after he had to start all the way back in 39th position when they were having to try to fix the toe in the race car in the previous caution period. Mark Martin was still struggling back in the 21st position. On the 101st lap of the race, Ken Schrader moved into the top five. Bobby Hamilton's lead over Rusty Wallace was just over two seconds, 108 laps into the race. They were reporting that Rusty was starting to close in some on Bobby Hamilton as the TNN broadcast went to commercial. Sterling Marlin pitted on lap 110, and Jeremy Mayfield and Steve Park continued to have good runs, running 6th and 8th, respectively. Rusty Wallace was closing in on Bobby Hamilton about a tenth of a lap. And as TNN took another commercial, Rusty Wallace was able to grab the lead from Bobby Hamilton on lap 117. He had now led 52 consecutive laps. Dale Jarrett decided to pit from the third position on lap 128. On lap 131, Ward Burden crashed in turn four. This brought out the fourth caution of the race and interrupted a 69-lap green flag run. Ward Burden would not finish the race and be credited with a 41st-place finish. This was bad news for Dale Jarrett and other drivers who had pitted under the green flag. They were all caught a lap down. The other leaders had the benefit of pitting under the yellow flag. When the cars came out of the pits, Rusty Wallace was the leader. Bobby Hamilton was in second. Jeff Gordon was third. Ken Schrader was fourth. Dale Earnhardt was fifth. Jeff Bodine was sixth. Darrell Waltrip was having a great run in seventh. Defending NASCAR wins the cup champion, Terry Labonte was eighth. Jimmy Spencer was ninth. And Rick Mass rounded out the top ten. It was a tough break for Dale Jarrett who had just completed a green flag pit stop when the caution came out for Ward Burton's incident. This unfortunately had caught him a lap down, and Jarrett would have to restart in the 17th position. There would be 14 cars in the lead lap when the race restarted. We've talked about this before, but in NASCAR wins the cup racing in 1997, there was no wave around. So what would happen is if you got caught a lap down, the pace car would pick up the leader of the race. When the leader of the race pitted under the caution, you would get to move up behind the pace car. But all of the other leaders, after they came out of the pits, would get the start on the outside line, which at that time was for the lead lap cars. As a car lap down, you had a decision. You could stay on the outside line, or you could go to the bottom of the racetrack too as well, which was for the cars a lap down. So as a result, the leader of the race, Rusty Wallace, would start seventh in position on the outside line with six cars in front of him. The people that were in front of him included guys like Jeremy Mayfield, Dale Jarrett, Bill Elliott, and Jeff Burton, who had all pitted and got caught a lap down. So this looked like it was going to have major implications on the NASCAR Winston Cup championship. Jeff Gordon was having a solid day running third, and you now had Dale Jarrett on the tail end of the lead lap, meaning Jarrett may lose even more points and have the possibility of not even having a chance at the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship because he was too many points behind when he went to Atlanta. The race would restart on lap 139 with 174 laps to go. On the 145th lap, Darrell Waltrip moved his way into the seventh position with a pass on Jeff Bodine. Jeff Gordon was able to get around Bobby Hamilton for the second position. Bobby Hamilton was reporting that his car was loose. After about 17 laps, we reached halfway in the race, and the running order was as followed. Rusty Wallace was the leader. Jeff Gordon was second.
Bobby Hamilton was running third. Dale Earnhardt was up to the fourth position. Ken Trader was fifth. Important run for Ken Trader as he was trying to work his way back into the top 10 in NASCAR wins the cup points. Jeff Bodine was sixth. Jimmy Spencer continued to run well in the seventh position despite an early spin. Darrell Waltrip was eighth. Mark Barton was ninth. And Rick Mass was in the 10th position. A TNN graphic showed that only nine of 30 drivers who had led the race at halfway had won this season. When the TNN commercial, I'm sorry, when the TNN broadcast came back from commercial, it was reported that Dale Hernert was up to the third position. And they also reported that in 15 consecutive seasons, Dale Earnhardt had let, won at least one NASCAR wins the cup race. And of course he was winless in the 1997 season. Dale Jarrett was running 16 and the TNN broadcast was reporting that Jarrett was extremely fast. In fact, he was a quarter second faster than leader Rusty Wallace. Remember that Dale Jarrett had restarted the race in the tail end of the lead lap, and now he trailed leader Rusty Wallace by just over 16 seconds. That meant that he had made up nearly two-fifths of a lap on Rusty Wallace and was continuing to gain ground. Dale Arnold was beginning to close in on Jeff Gordon for the second position on lap 172. When they came back from commercial, Earnhardt had passed Gordon and moved up to second, and he trailed Rusty Wallace by only about three-quarters of a second. Rusty Wallace was struggling trying to lap Jeff Burton, who had a very fast car. Remember, Burton was running in the top five, and like Dale Jarrett, he had been caught on the tail end of the lead lap when that yellow flag had come out. Dale Jarrett now had worked his way all the way around and was now beginning to catch the back end of the field. He was up to the 15th position. He had done this in 50 laps, which is extremely impressive. On lap 192, Dale Jarrett was now 11th, and he was just 10 seconds behind the leader. So remember, the race had restarted on lap 139, and some 53 laps later, Dale Jarrett had made up almost 20 seconds on the leader of the race. As we take a look at where the other points leaders were at, Mark Martin had had a significant improvement from his earlier run and was up to seventh, and Jeff Gordon was in the third position. Gordon, though, started to drop back a bit as Ken Trader and Jeff Bodine were both able to pass Jeff Gordon while he struggled a bit in lap traffic. We were almost two-thirds through the race, and at lap 200, let's reset the running order. Rusty Wallace was the leader. Dale Earnhardt was second. Ken Trader was third. Jeff Bodine was fourth. Jeff Gordon ran in the fifth position. Bobby Hamilton was sixth. Mark Martin was seventh. Dale Jarrett was all the way up to the eighth position. Good run for Johnny Benson in ninth, and Jimmy Spencer rounded out the top ten. A few laps later, Dale Jarrett was able to grab the seventh position from Mark Martin and then the sixth position from Bobby Hamilton. On the next lap, he was able to get around Jeff Gordon and move up to fifth. With 212 laps completed and 100 laps left in the race, Rusty Wallace was leading Dale Earnhardt by one and a half seconds. Green flag pit stops began on lap 216. And remember, guys like Dale Jarrett and Jeff Burton were going to have to pit a little bit earlier because they had pitted a bit earlier when they got caught a lap down when the caution came out during green flag pit stops. They had stayed out to be able to be on the lead lap, and as a result, they couldn't run quite as far as some of the leaders. Jared came to pit road on lap 218. His car was absolutely perfect, he told his crew. They made no adjustments, and they completed a 19.2-second pit stop for four tires. 
Gordon was struggling a bit. It was a bit of monkey see, monkey do. He came in the pits a few laps after Dale Jarrett and made a 19.1 second pit stop. During the series of green flag pit stops, Dale Earnhardt was able to lead lap 222 after Rusty Wallace pitted, and Jeff Bodine leaded laps 223 through 224. Earnhardt and Mark Martin then pitted, and that gave Johnny Benson the opportunity to lead laps 225 through 227. Rusty Wallace reassumed the lead on lap 228. He had led 105 consecutive laps until the cycle of green flag pit stops. After the green flag pit stops, Dale Jarrett continued his toward pace, and he was beginning to close in on Rusty Wallace for the lead. Rusty Wallace, meanwhile, was struggling to put Daryl Waltrip a lap down. This gave Dale Jarrett the opportunity to get inside of Rusty Wallace on the back stretch in the dogleg and take the lead of the race on lap 240. This was the first laps led by any driver in the top three in points, and Dale Jarrett earned those valuable five bonus points. Jarrett then was able to quickly lap Daryl Walchip. It was reported that Steve Park had blown an engine. He would be credited with a 41st place finish after running in the top 10 for much of the event. When the TNN broadcast came back from commercial, they reported that something that would have a significant impact on the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship. Steve Burns reported that Jeff Gordon was have, experiencing a vibration and the team wasn't exactly sure why this was going on. In the meantime, Mark Martin was continuing his rally, and he got around Jeff Gordon for the fifth position. On the next lap, Ken Schrader passed Jeff Gordon to move up to sixth. Then Jeff Bodine got around Jeff Gordon, relegating Gordon back to the seventh position. Dale Jarrett was able to lap Jeremy Mayfield, who was running in the 14th position, with 60 laps left in the race. Jarrett had a nearly three-second lead, and Jeff Gordon had faded back to the ninth position. The TNN broadcast reported that Jeff Gordon was continuing to try to feel the race car out, but he clearly was not running at a strong a pace. The question was, do you come to pit road and lose at least one, maybe two laps and try to work your way back up through the field, or do you just try to hang on to the car hoping for a caution? With 50 laps to go in the race, let's reset the running order. Dale Jarrett was their leader. Rusty Wallace was second. Dale Earnhardt was running third. Bobby Hamilton was in fourth, Ken Trader was fifth, Mark Martin was sixth, Jeff Bodine was seventh, Johnny Benson was eighth, Gordon was trying to hang in there in the ninth position, and it was a strong day for Steve Grissom in the tenth position. With 44 laps to go in the race, Dale Jarrett put Cal Petty a lap down who was running in the eleventh position, and that left just ten cars on the lead lap. Despite being lapped, it was another solid day for Cal Petty, and he was having a really nice second part of the season. And he was going to finish very similar in points to his teammate, Bobby Hamilton. And Petty, of course, was very close to victory at Dover. Had it not become been a fuel mallet race, it's very likely he would have won there. So the TNN broadcast went to commercial. And they returned back from commercial. We found out that there was a major, major shakeup in the point standings. Jeff Gordon, who had been complaining of a vibration, had drifted up the racetrack and nearly hit the wall in turn four. He was forced to pit road and had to make a four-tire change. Gordon had already been lapped by Dale Jarrett on the racetrack and then lost two laps getting in and out of the pits. He was now in the 30th position, three laps down. So TNN flashed up a graphic on lap 276 showing that Dale Jarrett trailed Jeff Gordon as they ran currently by just 38 points and Mark Martin would be third in points, 48 points back. 
With 34 laps to go in the race, Jeff Gordon was still in the 30th position. Let's reset the top 10 with 30 laps to go. Dale Jarrett was the leader. Rusty Wallace was running second. Dale Earnhardt was third. Bobby Hamilton was fourth. Ken Schrader was fifth. Second in points, Mark Martin was sixth. Johnny Benson was seventh. Jeff Bodine was eighth. Steve Grissom was running ninth, one lap down. And Cal Petty was running in tenth, one lap down. Bobby Hamilton was able to get around Dale Earnhardt for the third position with 25 laps to go. With 23 laps to go in the race, Jeff Gordon had worked his way up to the 27th position. Gordon had very fresh tires, and this was a big advantage because many of his competitors had tires that had at least 80 at least eighty to 90 laps on them when the run would be over. So Gordon definitely was multiple miles an hour faster than some of the cars that he was getting around. And remember, those guys have been lapped a couple times, and Gordon was really running around the top five until he started to really have that serious vibration issue. With 20 laps to go in the race, Dale Jarrett had a commanding six-second lead over Rusty Wallace, and Jeff Gordon had worked his way up to the 26th position. A few laps later, with 17 laps to go in the race, Gordon was now running 23rd. Remember, at this time in NASCAR Winston Cup points, from 11th on back, every position that you picked up was a gain of three in the points. Steve Burns interviewed Todd Parrott, and Parrott admitted that the team was a bit questionable on fuel. They had to bring Dale Jarrett a little bit earlier to pit road than they wanted to, and he would have to go 95 laps on a tank of fuel. Todd Parrott admitted that he knew it was going to be close, but that they were going to go for it because if they had to come to pit road, it really was going to end any chance at the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship. With around 10 laps to go, Dick Trickle fell out of the race with an ignition problem and was credited with a 40th place finish. With 10 laps to go in the race, Jeff Gordon was running 20th, and with 5 laps to go, Gordon was up to the 19th position. Meanwhile, Dale Jarrett was in fuel conservation mode and was significantly backing off, slowing down his lap times by anywhere by anywhere to a second to a second and a half. The white flag came out and Dale Jarrett had no problem cruising around the one mile Phoenix International Raceway and picking up his seventh win of the 1997 season. An extremely impressive victory from Dale Jarrett, who was nearly a lap down restart in the tail end of the lead lap there was 174 green flag run and he essentially put a lap on the entire field and came all the way around to take the lead the time of the race was just under two hours and 49 minutes dale jarrett's average speed was 110.824 miles an hour there were four cautions for 23 laps as i just mentioned the final 174 laps were run under the green flag Dale Jarrett's margin of victory over Rusty Wallace was 2.105 seconds, and it was much closer because Jarrett was conserving fuel at the end of the race, and there were 13 lead changers among eight drivers. Jeff Gordon rallied to finish in 17th place, the first car two laps down, and Mark Martin came home sixth. Dale Jarrett led the final 73 laps of the race, adding on to an already career-high season for wins with his seventh win of the 1997 NASCAR Winston Cup season. Dale Jarrett had added five new racetracks that he'd won at in the 1997 season. These tracks included Atlanta, Darlington, Bristol, Richmond, and Phoenix. It was the 15th career win for Jarrett, and it allowed him to move into second place in the points, passing by Mark Martin. It was an unbelievable effort by Dale Jarrett, considering that just before the halfway point, he was caught a lap down while he pitted under the green flag and the caution came out. He restarted on the tail end of the lead lap 
just before the halfway point, came all the way around the racetrack and passed all the leaders to win the race. This was a remarkable performance. Think about if Jarrett had not lost that lap early in the race. He may have lapped nearly the entire field. It was a good day for Rusty Wallace. He finished second and had led the most laps, 117. Rusty easily could have had four wins in the NASCAR Wins the Cup season. Remember, Jeff Gordon pulled out the bump and run on Rusty Wallace early in the season in the Bristol Spring Race. Rusty was black flagged in the fall Martinsville race for jumping the start and could have had the victory at Phoenix as well. So Wallace was stuck on just that one win early in the season at Richmond. Bobby Hamilton had a strong day, always running well on the flat tracks, especially at Phoenix. He finished third, leading 91 laps, following up a victory the prior week at Rockingham. Good day for Ken Trader. In fact, it had been his best finish of the 1997 season. He finished fourth, equaling his run in the fall Talladega race in October. Darrenard came home fifth, leading one lap. Mark Martin scuffled for much of the race, but did what you need to do when you're in a points battle and eventually finished in the sixth position. Great run for Johnny Benson in seventh. He had led three laps, and this has been his best finish since the Brickyard 400 in August. Good day for Steve Grissom. He came home eighth, and he was the first car one lap down. Cal Petty had a solid day in ninth, and Jeff Bodine, who had led two laps, rounded out the top ten. Defending NASCAR Winston Cup champion Terry Labonte came home 11th. Three-time NASCAR Winston Cup champion Daryl Waltrip was 12th. He had run well early in the race, but had faded a bit during the long green flag run. Jeff Burton finished 13th. Outside pole sitter Jimmy Spencer came home 14th. And Bill Elliott rounded out the top 15. Elliott had a strong car too as well, but much like Burton and Dale Jarrett, he had been caught in the pits during that yellow, the fourth cost of the race and been put on the tail end of the lead lap. Jeff Gordon, after his tire problem late in the race, came home 17th, and he was the first car to finish two laps down. Gordon, though, had really salvaged what could have been a disastrous day. He had to pit inside of 50 laps to go in the race due to a flat tire. And Gordon had been able to rally all the way up from the 30th position to 17th, salvaging about 39 to about 42 points in the process. Other notable finishers in the race included Jeremy Mayfield, who came home 19th, Kenny Irwin was 20th, Bobby Labonte came home 23rd, Sterling Marlin had led some laps early in the race and showed some strength, but faded to 27th, and Ricky Rudd continued to have a disaster season after his Brickyard 400 victory and the final third of the season, he was credited with a 36th place finish. There definitely was a shakeup in the points with Dale Jarrett's victory, Mark Martin's solid day, and Jeff Gordon's late race difficulty. We talked about earlier, Gordon was fortunate that the team was able to diagnose the problem. He was able to get to pit road. He didn't crash or tear up his car. And he was able to pick up about 13 positions late in the race, salvaging about 39 points. Despite this, Dale Jarrett had been able to gain 68 points on Jeff Gordon, and Mark Martin had gained 38 points. This meant that Dale Jarrett had moved in the second in points, just 77 points behind Jeff Gordon. Jarrett had come in 145 points behind Jeff Gordon, third in points. So he had cut his deficit to Jeff Gordon nearly in half. Mark Martin, as we said, was now 87 points behind Jeff Gordon, but he had dropped to third in points. He was now trailing Dale Jarrett by 10 points for the second place points position. 
He had still, though, had a good gain on Jeff Gordon. He started the day 125 points back. Despite Gordon's difficulty at Phoenix, he just would need to finish 18th or better in the season finale in Atlanta in two weeks to clinch the NASCAR Wins the Cup championship. Jeff Burton was sitting fourth in points, 374 points behind points leader Jeff Gordon. He had a 128-point lead on fifth in points Dale Earnhardt, and it was extremely likely that Jeff Burton would finish fourth in points. We talked about multiple times on the broadcast the remarkable breakout season for Jeff Burton. He had never finished in the top 10 in NASCAR Winston Cup points and never had a Winston Cup victory, and he was going to come home with at least three NASCAR Winston Cup wins and finish fourth in points. Dale Earnhardt's strong run had allowed him to move in front of Terry Labonte and get back in the top five in points. He had a 19-point lead on Terry Labonte as they went to the final race of the season in Atlanta. Terry Labonte was trailing Dale Earnhardt, as we talked about, by 19 points and was sixth in points. As long as Terry Labonte started the Atlanta race, he could finish no worse than sixth in points. He had lost one points position with his 11th place run at Phoenix while Earnhardt finished in fifth. Bobby Labonte was sitting seventh in points, and it was very likely that Bill Elliott was not going to be able to get around Labonte for seventh in points, and Labonte wasn't going to be able to move in front of Terry, his brother. Bill Elliott was eighth in points, and he was nearly 135 points behind Bobby Labonte, so it was unlikely that he was going to pass Bobby Labonte for up to get to seventh in points, and Elliott was likely to finish eighth in points. Rusty Wallace's strong day at Phoenix had him ninth in points, and he had widened his advantage over the 10th and 11th place drivers. He now had a 45-point lead over 10th place Ted Musgrave and a 58-point lead over 11th in points Ken Schrader. Musgrave was sitting 10th in points, looking for that all-important final position to be able to be on stage at the Waldorf Astoria at the end of the year NASCAR Wins the Cup banquet. He had just a 13-point lead on 11th in points, Ken Schrader. Jeremy Mayfield was 12th in points, 45 points out of 10th. Johnny Benson was tied for 12th in points with Jeremy Mayfield, also 45 points out of 10th. Ernie Irvin was 14th in points, but he was nearly 84 points out of 10th, and it was pretty unlikely that Irvin, in his final season, number 28, Texaco Haviland, Ford Thunderbird for Robert Yates, was going to finish in the top 10 in points. Bobby Hamilton's third-place run had put him 15th in points, but he had no chance to finish in the top 10 in points. Cal Petty's first season, the number 44 car, had him 16th in points, and Ricky Rudd was the big loser in the final third of the season. After picking up his second win of the season and one of the biggest victories of his career at the Brickyard 400 in August, he had had nothing but bad luck with the exception of one or two races and had dropped all the way back to 17th in points. So, when we look back at the big stories in the 1997 Loop 500 from Phoenix, Dale Jarrett's unbelievable race was something that we won't forget. Jarrett, as we talked about earlier, had been caught a lap down due to a green flag pit stop and the yellow flag coming out almost immediately. At the halfway point in the race, he had to restart on the tail end of the lead lap, running 17th. He had made up a whole lap on the racetrack, without the aid of the caution and come back to win and given himself a legitimate chance at the NASCAR Winston Cup championship. It looked like coming into the race that if Jeff Gordon had a decent day, that Dale Jarrett would have almost no chance at the Winston Cup championship. Now 
If Jeff Gordon struggled at Atlanta, Jarrett would have the opportunity to clinch his first NASCAR Wins the Cup championship. For Mark Martin, he had struggled for much of the first half of the race, but they got his car right late in the race. And for Martin, it was disappointing because now he didn't control his own destiny in terms of second and points because Dale Jarrett now had a 10-point lead. But if Martin could have a big day at Atlanta, win the race and lead the most laps, and Jarrett finished a couple positions behind him, Martin could at least finish in the runner-up position. For Jeff Gordon, it was not the day he was looking for at Phoenix. Since the Bristol race, there had been eight NASCAR wins in the cup races. Jeff Gordon had captured two wins, six top five finishes, and seven top tens. His only bad finish was the crash at Talladega, where he finished outside of the top 30. But he was fortunate that both Dale Jarrett and Mark Martin were involved. And for much of the last third of the season, Gordon had been maintaining about a 100-point lead on Mark Martin and Dale Jarrett. And it was looking like he could go to the Atlanta race in a situation much like the 1995 season, where he maybe would need a finish of just 30th or better if he could keep Dale Jarrett and Mark Martin in sight at Phoenix. He was doing exactly what he needed to do, even though Dale Jarrett had passed Gordon. He was still running in front of Mark Martin when he had that problem inside the final 50 laps of the race. Fortunately for Gordon, he drove extremely hard and was able to become the first car two laps down and salvage a 17th place finish. So, as he went to Atlanta, he was going to have to have at least a decent day and finish in the top 18 to clinch his second NASCAR Wins the Cup championship. But this was still a, the type of finish where if you had a flat tire or a minor mechanical problem, you were going to lose the NASCAR Wins the Cup championship. Whereas if you only need to finish in the top 30, if Gordon basically could stay running, especially the track at Atlanta where it was high attrition, it was likely that he would win the championship. So it had been a remarkable day at Phoenix, and there would be two weeks off before the NASCAR Wins the Cup championship would be decided at the 32nd race of the season, the season finale, the Napa 500. For the Stock Car Racing Time Machine podcast, I'm Tim Naiman. Thanks for joining us. Our next episode will look at the season finale at Atlanta.